asked on many occasions, or I'm told, ah, the banks don't lend money. I'm an entrepreneur. I've got a great idea, but I can't get any money from the bank. They don't want to talk to me. Have you ever heard that? Mm, Yeah, accessing debt capital as a young startup business is near impossible. And I say to them, that's a very good bank. You see, to my mind, the role of banks is not to take unnecessary risk, certainly not the risk associated with entrepreneurial ventures. The role of banks is to aggregate people's investments and savings and to lend those out on an extremely risk, conservative risk basis. Because at some point in time, that money has got to be available for the widows and the orphans that have invested their money with the bank. We must always keep that in mind. The role of the bank is to protect the interests of widows and orphans. All right. So they're a custodian, in essence. That's their primary responsibility as custodians of our capital, of our wealth, of our money. And so let's preface these three modules by saying there should always be a tension in a bank around wanting to give and to grow, but at the same time being conservative enough that they can always account to the widows and orphans whose money they lend. You must remember, bankers don't lend their own money. They lend other people's money. And then we need to always have that in the back of our mind, whether it's about, whether, whether it's about us borrowing the money or developing the relationship with the bank. And so our conversations, our, my conversation, my input on these conversations, will always have that in the back of my head. It's a very important principle. Okay, so we're going to use that context to talk about how is it that we use a bank services in transacting? How is it that we access debt in a bank? How much, at what cost, over what maturity? And we're going to look at how we invest our money, that we're investing it with the bank, but it's our money and it's, and it's how, we u- how we use it. And these days, investing with the bank is actually not uncommon in that they do give us access to equity portals where we can access the stock market through products that are provided by the bank. So it's not as if we can't use the bank in that context. So wonderful intro to the next three podcasts that we will simply look at back banking as a, as, a, as a place where we can borrow money or access capital, a place where we can hold investments or hold our capital and earn some returns or investment. And thirdly, there's this transactional piece which hopefully holds those two together. And in all three of those areas, there are some lovely lessons and, and tricks of the trade that we can share. So let's dive into the subject of transacting. And I want to start with a short story, which, may, which maybe some of the listeners can connect to. So when I was growing up and kind of just turned 18 or so, and I had this bank account and my parents suggested I I needed a card so that I could transact. And that came in the form of a a credit card for me back then was with Nedbank. And I distinctly remember a conversation around the dining room table one night where my dad warned me of the perils of debt, especially (laughs) debt on a credit card, how much it cost and that, in fact, I should never use the credit. I should put my money in there and just use the cash and then the credit card would just be the means of being able to transact. And 
while my dad had my well-being at heart, he was actually giving me very poor advice, wasn't he? He was not teaching me about how to use debt responsibly. In fact, he was just warning me that this was the dark art and I should stay away from it completely and, yeah, avoid it. I suppose if I put this in terms that doctors might relate to, it's like saying, listen, never eat fat. But, you know, actually for a good body and a healthy mind, you need a certain amount of different fats and oils. So you can't just lump everything in the same bucket. And so, in fact, your dad was half right. So let's be clear. The piece where dad was half right was that any debt on a credit card is going to be charged at what is known as usurous rates. So banks load the interest rates on debt on credit cards to the highest possible amount. There are one or two banks that don't do that because they price the customer. And that's a very interesting concept. But most banks price the product and they say that a credit card offers convenience and all of these wonderful things. And therefore, if you borrow on your credit card, so here's the one thing that, so here, guys, if you're making a list of things to do straight off the bat, here's the first one. There's a thing on your credit card called installment credit where, where banks will say to you, listen, put it on budget. So that's such a cool term, okay? So you bought on budget. BS, people, you have just accessed the most expensive form of debt for consumers out there. So if any of you have ever bought anything on budget, please stop this podcast right now get on the phone and settle that budget because you've paid for whatever you bought on budget. You've probably paid for it twice over. So why is it that we've paid for it twice over? Is it that we've extended the payment of this item over multiple financial periods where we're using the bank's money at a very high cost? Precisely. That's the reason. So we, we want to use the bank's money. Let's be clear. You know, anytime someone gives you money, you must always say yes. So, Someone then might say, well, surely with a credit card, I'm using the bank's money anyway. So what's the difference if I do it straight or if I do it on budget? And is there a, is there a way that I should transact with the bank that it benefits me? At some point in time, we need to be clear about the difference between a credit card and a debit card. Let's keep it simple. But on a credit card, so this is where dad was half right. So dad was saying, please, Justin, don't borrow on your credit card but spend on your credit card. Now, yes. you might say to me, that's an oxymoron. It's not. Those are two different activities. Because the only thing that banks give you for free is called an interest-free period, all of our listeners, please, must make on their list of things to do the next item after you've got rid of your budget or your budget purchases is to find out what the interest-free period is on your credit card. And this can be anything between 30 and 55 days interest-free on purchases at point of sale. And it's the only thing that banks give for free. Okay. So does that mean I can make a purchase now on my credit card and the interest bill doesn't start from the point at which I make the purchase? It starts from some later date. And I'll give you a sense of how the banks do this. When a transaction comes into a bank for your account, the bank looks at that transaction and asks itself two very simple questions. First of all, is this a transaction at a point of sale for which the bank earns a commission? If the answer is yes, it goes into what's called the purchases bucket. If it's not one of those transactions, in other words, cash or near cash, you bought foreign exchange or whatever, comes with a different signal. 
different label. And that goes into the cash or near cash bucket. And the bank treats those two differently. And that's why we need to change our behavior so that we get the best of both. So let me continue. The banks give you something for free. It's called the interest-free period. It can be anything between 30 days and 55 days. The wording here is very important. What we want to do is we want to get the maximum amount. So we want to get the full 55 days. Here's how it works. When you make a purchase at a point of sale, the bank will receive that. They'll put that in a bucket and they will start calculating what the interest is from the date of the purchase on that particular purchase as if you had borrowed the money. When your due date comes for the settlement of your credit card balance, if you do not settle that balance in full, they go all the way back to that bucket and they take that entire interest calculation from the date of the purchase and they bumper your account with that at the most high rate that they can afford to charge the public. All right, so the key message that I heard there is that when you come to settle that credit card amount, you must settle the entire amount get your balance back to zero. Otherwise, you're subject to this penalizing interest. It's a binary thing. It's either on or off. You either settled on that computerized due date in full or you didn't. If you miss it by an hour or you miss it by a cent, they are just waiting for the opportunity to go back and take that entire interest bucket calculation and offload it onto your bank statement. But if you know the now, rules, thank goodness, you can operate yes. around that. Banks make it easy. They've got a little flag on their computer system that says this customer settles the full amount on the due date. Now, some banks are very clever. On the application form ahead of that, they'll actually have an option that says settle the minimum amount on the statement date. Guys, that's the worst thing you can do, okay? Because that's not going to do anything for you. That's only going to support the bank. So you ignore that one. There's another option that says settle the full amount on the statement date. You don't want to do that either because that's day 30 and the banks just slide you out of another 25 days interest free. Guys, there's one button that you want to make sure is ticked. This is the third item on your list. You make sure that your credit card says settle my balance in full on the due date. And if that button is clicked for the rest of your life, You've just saved yourself enough money to pay off your first house. All right. So then you can be comfortable that your amount outstanding will be settled each time. You won't incur any interest charge related to the purchases that you've made during that time period. So now we need to deal with your cash or near cash transactions. Now, Justin, this is a very, very interesting piece that we need to share. Because if you did as your dad said and you saved your money in your credit card, part of that advice is actually very good because most of the banks give quite attractive interest rates on credit cards. Am I right? Yes, that's right. So you can probably get five, maybe 6% there or so. And there's a very interesting reason why they do that because they want you to have a credit balance. So they want you to have cash in there because that, that gives them the opportunity to use that money elsewhere. That's worse than that. When you've got a credit balance with some of the banks, they turn the product into a debit card. Am I understanding you? They, they change the nature of the product that you're using. Yeah, because they say, listen, there's a credit balance here. You've made a purchase. Let's net the purchase of your credit balance. All right. But there's an arbitrage for the consumer because if that's what they're doing, let's play them at their own game. So you open two credit cards. 
Ah, okay. So the purchase, you don't want to reduce your cash amount in the bank account because you want your cash to sit there and earn interest while you Excellent. are using your credit card and using the bank's money for purchases. So now when you, if, you, if you follow my logic now, if you have two credit cards, you get the best of both worlds. Earn interest on the one and save yourself the interest expense on the other using it according to the rules. 100%. Fantastic. So wh why would we even have a debit card? Why, why do we have this thing? Debit cards are a psychological ploy to say, oh, you're not using the credit card. You're being very responsible. You're debiting your account with your purchases. I mean, the banks are loving that because they still earn commission when you use the card at the point of sale, but they don't have the expense of the interest-free period. And the interest-free period is the biggest expense in their business. All right. So I mean, debit card is you're just spending your own money via card. Effectively, that's what my dad's advice was without him knowing it. He was saying, put cash in there and therefore you are using this thing as a debit card. And so sadly, he precluded you from the only free thing that banks give. Yes. Okay. So guys, this is a great start for you to start to get some real value out of your banking relationships. Let's just recap quickly. Number one, guys, please get rid of any budget. And if anybody ever asks you if you want to buy something on budget, stop short of physical violence, but don't do it. Number two, never borrow past the interest-free period because you will be hit from the date of the transaction with the highest interest that's possible. Number three, get hold of your bank urgently and find out that you have definitely got that flag on your account that said settle this amount in full on the due date. Not the statement date, people. That's 30 days. Due date is 55 days. If you want to be really smart, make all your purchases at the beginning of the cycle, then you get the full 55 days interest-free. Here's the last point. Take all your cash, take your salary, whatever you've got, put that in another credit card because on that you're going to earn a high interest rate on the full balance. And that credit card you only use for cash or near cash transactions, but you don't use it for your purchases. And then if you're really smart, you settle the other credit card with the credit card with all the cash in on the due date. And I promise you at our first power hour, we'll give you a spreadsheet that shows you how you can make a million rand doing that in the next, depends how much you earn, but I'm prepared to put that out there and say you'll make yourself a million bucks over your life at least. And that's from Prudent Clever Cash Management. I'm going to suggest there might be one other alternative we might throw in here is that if you are at that stage in your life where you have purchased a property for which you've borrowed money and you have an access bond, one of your alternatives may be to store your excess cash instead of putting it in the credit card. You might be able to store it in your access bond to get a higher interest rate, but by effectively doing the same thing as if you were storing it in a credit card. Not all banks will let you do that. And why don't we, before our next power hour, make that an objective. We'll find out which banks have got that access facility and you can actually flag your credit card to go and pull the funds out of your access facility on the due date. You never have to think about it. It's done. Great. So that's the end of our short piece on transacting with the bank.